Not afraid to tell it like it is. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon till 3 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, real quickly, we've got Paul on the phone. Paul, what are your thoughts on what is happening in the UK and the EU? Hello there, Scott. Um, yes, I just wanted a phone call. I don't usually phone radio shows, but just absolutely frustrated with the one-sided media reports. You know, anyone would think the sky was going to fall in. Mm-hmm. Very frustrated, you know, being British, as you can probably tell, <laughs> living in Canada. Mm-hmm. But this was something that British people actually voted for. And you watch CTV, CBC, no one is reporting the positive possibilities of what the British people have voted for. So what are we missing? Well, for example, the person you had on talking about was kind of like dumbing down referendums, which I find interesting because that's direct democracy at work. He did say we had a clear question, and it was answered. And yes, Boris Johnson saying we're still going to be part of Europe. Of course we are. Norway and Switzerland are two of the most prosperous countries in Europe, but they're not members of the EU, and I guess that's what some of us British people want, the kind of relationship we want to have. Um, Anything else? Not really. Uh, how, how do you explain the fact that the, the pound has dropped, uh, investors are talking about pulling Probably out, companies are, are, are moving that can't uh, integrate with the rest of Europe? Probably the, the reason that the markets are like this is because the markets don't like anything volatile. And if you were an investor watching any of the mainstream media, you'd probably get nervous too. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. I, 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 think, I, think you're, I think you're. I think I think you're oversimplifying this. To be honest, you think so? Yeah, well, I've lived there most of my life, and the main question at stake. Can I ask a question? How come you're living here now? Because of work. Mm. Do you have any ambition to go back? Um, I'm not sure. How come? Because I'm happy where I am at the moment, but my family are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'm oversimplifying it because, as I said, you know. I think it's just turmoil at the moment because of there is uncertainty. Um, but I think that ultimately Britain will renegotiate and have just as good a trading partnerships as, like I said, for example, Norway and Switzerland. So you think in the end this will be positive for the UK? I believe it will be because the ultimate argument was who controls Britain. How long before we will start to see that, do you think? I think it'll be quite some time because, you know, once Article 50 is invoked, it will be at least two years um, before finally everything is returned back to Westminster. So in the meantime, and I guess that's why the, some of the leaders of the Commission in Europe are keen for Britain to get its act together and act quickly so that there isn't this, you know, what if. Mm-hmm. So you think by five years, Britain will be better off than it is now? That is my hope, yes. Well, thanks for the call, Paul. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Joining us now, Jeff Semple is with us, European Bureau Chief for Global News, live in Trafalgar Square, and is with us now. Hello, Jeff. How are you today? Hi, Scott. I'm not too bad. I'm a little wet, but uh, this is London, after all. Thank you for taking the time. We certainly do appreciate it. What is the mood in the UK today? I don't know if you just heard our, uh, our caller, Paul, who was originally from there, and he said we're focusing on all the negative. What is the bright spot in all of this? Can you find it there? <laughs> well, it depends, you know, as your last caller just noted. I mean, it really depends on uh, on who you ask and particularly where you ask them. I mean, we were just literally in Trafalgar Square in central London at a rally where hundreds of people are braving the rain here, calling for the U.K. to re- remain and, con- and continue to have 
close ties with the European Union. And I think we saw, as you know, as we saw in the voter numbers last week, the vast majority of people in London wanted to remain part of the European Union. But when you, you know, outside of the, the centre and elsewhere in England and in Wales, people certainly feel differently, feel a lot like your last caller, that it's, you know, it's a very emotional debate. It's a nostalgic debate. It's a nationalist debate. They are angry about globalization, angry about austerity, and angry about immigration, wanting to shut the door on immigrants from Europe. Exactly how they will negotiate that Brexit plan, if you like, is what's being discussed today in Brussels. Do you think that uh, what Paul, our previous caller, said is valid? That, you know, as the media, we have a tendency to focus on the negative, we're promoting the doom and gloom, as opposed to the real side or the other side of this story? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think his point is fair insofar as a lot of the media coverage has, has focused in the last few days on the doom and gloom, but it's probably also fair to note that there has been a lot of doom and gloom over the last few days, particularly, as you noted, on the markets where we've seen billions of pounds wiped off. We've seen the pound dip to a 30-year low. Um, Now, obviously, we've seen some recovery today, and the big question moving forward is how long will this pain on the markets last? But obviously, even if the markets recover, there are still a lot of big questions about, you know, how, how this Brexit will work. And we're seeing that discussion, as I say, happening in Brussels today. We're hearing from a lot of British leaders, including those on the Leave side, who are voicing their desire to remain part of the European Union's single market, allowing them to have access to what remains the world's largest trading bloc. But we've heard from other EU leaders including German Chancellor Angela Merkel saying, you know, it's not that simple. You can't have your cake and eat it too, that you can't simply have access to the the market without allowing things like European immigration and without paying in a large sum of money into the European Union. Now, the caller mentioned the Norway model, which I think is one that a lot of people have been pointing to. Norway is not a member of the European Union, mm-hmm. but it does pay a lot of money into the European Union. It has no say over European Union rules, and it's a member of the Schengen Zone, which, which means that anyone in any EU immigrant can, can work and live in Norway if they choose. So I think there's a, there's a significant give and take here, and exactly what the British Brexit model will look like is going to take, as we've heard, upwards as much as two years to negotiate, Scott. Because there is so much negotiation involved here, Jeff, and as as you said, and as the German Chancellor said, you can't have your cake and eat it too, will the UK end up pretty much where they were when all of this ends, except not a part of the EU? Well, uh, no. I mean, obviously, one of the biggest things is that they they wanted to do was to close the door on immigration from Eastern Europe. I think, it, you know, this whole debate through the course of the campaign has been is extremely complex. There are so many issues at play, but speaking to a lot of people on the street, your average voters, a lot of people will bring up immigration. And, of course, one of the hallmarks of the European Union is the free flow of goods, services, and people. So any EU citizen can live and work in any EU country. There are, there are 500-plus million of them. And a lot of people, particularly in England and Wales, are concerned about what they see is a, a, a high number of people from countries such as Poland who have come in in the last decade or so. And these are communities that are already dealing with shortages of housing, overcrowded schools and hospitals mm-hmm. who, you know, look at these newcomers and, and see them as part of the problem. So I think, you know, there was a lot of political pressure to shut the door on the wave of migrants from Europe. But at what cost is the big question now. 
What are what is the leave side saying after the fallout? We've seen the markets drop. Uh, who's in? Does anybody appear to be in charge of the leave side? Well, it's a good question, largely because you know a lot of the more prominent leaders, like Michael Gove and former London Mayor Boris Johnson, have been relatively quiet over the last few days. They haven't vanished altogether, but certainly, you know. The, the leadership of the Leave campaign that we saw right up until the vote has fallen a bit silent compared to certainly the days before the campaign. And, you know, the big question is who is in charge? And I think, you know, the natural next question is who is the next prime minister going to be? We've heard from the current British prime minister, David Cameron, that he plans to resign. That's now expected to happen by September. And David Cameron has said he will leave it to his successor, to pull the trigger and activate Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, which basically makes it official that the U.K. formally intends to Brexit, and it starts the clock and gives the United Kingdom up to two years to negotiate the terms of that Brexit. But I think until that new prime minister, the new Conservative Party chooses a new leader, and that person becomes the prime minister, this really is, you know, a ship without a captain. And that is not helping with the political and the economic uncertainty. How do UKers view David Cameron today? Well, I think that's a you know that's a, that's a good question. I think even his own supporters, um, I think everybody feels for him. No matter you know politically wherever you line up, I think people sort of have sympathy for him. Um, but a lot of people are also angry, particularly those who wanted to remain part of the, the United Kingdom, or the European Union, excuse me. They blame David Cameron for what they see as creating this mess, that it was he who, as you'll remember, announced the plan to hold this referendum in the first place, in mm-hmm. large part to appease members of his own Conservative Party. Now, when David Cameron pledged to hold this referendum during his election campaign last year, the polls were not close. I mean, I certain, he certainly, you can bet, never imagined this outcome would become a reality. Um, so I think, you know, people feel sorry for him, but I think a lot of people, particularly those on the Remain side, blame him for creating a mess that just to appease members of his own party. And, you know, as a result, we've got a situation here that has changed and represents a seismic shift in the world's largest trading bloc. So really, it seems like everything's going to be limbo till the fall and Cameron's out of there. I think that's it. I think that, you know, that's why we're hearing from not only members of the British Conservative Party, David Cameron's own party, but also European leaders who are saying, you know, hurry up. You know, the sooner we get a new prime minister in place, the sooner we activate Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, the sooner we can finally bring some calm, because we have heard a chorus of calls for calm over the last few days from everyone, from the Prime Minister himself to the Bank of England Governor and Canadian, of course, Mark Carney. But despite that chorus of calls for calm, this economic and political turbulence continues. And it doesn't help things, speaking of political turbulence, that the main opposition leader here in the United Kingdom has just got a significant defeat of no confidence by members of his own party. Hmm. More than 80% of Jeremy Corbyn's own MPs have voted a no-confidence motion just in the last couple of hours. And so not only is the main political party, the Conservative Party in the UK, facing a leadership crisis, but the main opposition party is as well. If this, there, there, certainly, there certainly have been lots of chatter about reversing this and you know holding another vote and all that sort of stuff, and obviously Cameron has made note that that ship has sailed. But if this vote was held today, do you think we have the same outcome? <laughs> yeah, you know, I... I 
as much as we hate this answer as uh, journalists, I, the truth is I don't know. But if I was a betting man, I, I have to wonder whether it would go the other way. I think only because we have heard from you know a number of, maybe not a huge percentage, but a number of people who voted for the Brexit who have now sort of, you know, the other term that's been coined is the regrets it, sort yeah. of waking up the next morning, looking at, at what happened in just the last few days and sort of shaking their heads and admitting that they, you know, they, if, if given another choice, they might have voted differently. But the truth is, you know, who knows, and we'll never know, because there won't be a second referendum. David Cameron ruled that out, and I don't think anyone's seriously given that any consideration, despite the fact that we saw a petition over the last few days with around 4 million signatures of people calling for another, a redo, a do-over, of this EU referendum. Uh, lots, uh, lots are debating the use of a referendum, whether they should even be called or not. Some are calling it true democracy. Others are, are pointing at this example and saying, see, this is what happens when you create a protest vote. The issues become irrelevant and, and the vote just moves ahead. Do you think there are a lot of people in the UK who perhaps uh, cast their ballot uh, to leave just as protest, not thinking it would actually happen? Well, there definitely are some, and we have spoken to them who, you know, as I say, sort of didn't, this was a protest vote and, and didn't perhaps grasp the, the complexities of this issue until, you know, the decision was already finished. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, we've heard that debate certainly as well about, you know, weighing, you know, the value of a referendum, obviously, you know, a, a fundamental tool in any democracy, but also, you know, the other side of the debate saying, was it wise to put such a complex question before the people with Man. such a simple yes or no answer, leave or remain answer in this case? Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, we're definitely hearing that debate happening here, but it's all in hindsight, of course, because, as we say, um, you know, perhaps live and learn, but I think this, this, the referendum result will stand. David Cameron said as much yesterday, and so the question now and the focus now really shifts to what next and what this Brexit plan should look like. What about racism? What's the mood there? Uh, we've heard lots of reports of that. I, I, do you think that is due to the apparent lack or the apparent lack of leadership or what appears to be at this time? How, how do we explain that? And, or, or is there an, an ex, is there an increase, or is this, again, media focusing on the negative? Well, you know, I think um, it's, there has been an increase. We heard from police yesterday that there had been uh, what they they quantified as about a 60-65% increase in reported hate crimes this month compared to last month. And, um, you know, there are obviously people linking that to the, to the Brexit campaign. But I think, you know, we should obviously keep it in, in perspective, too, that we are talking about, you know, uh, maybe certainly a hundred or a couple hundred cases in a country that's, um, you know, twice the size of Canada. So I think, you know, yes, this has created and probably sparked some incidents. We saw one this morning, a, you know, a, a shouting match that almost became violent on a bus in Manchester. A lot of anecdotal reports of EU immigrants, some of whom were born, uh, whose parents immigrated, being told, you know, the, the referendum is over, now it's time for you to go home. Hmm. Um, so nasty stuff, an ugly side to be sure, but not something that I think is, you know, by any stretch really prevalent at this point. It, it remains, I think, just a handful of cases that we're talking about, and of course everyone's hoping it stays that way. So the immediate future, what happens next, Jeff? How do they move on? Well, uh, tonight, in fact, David Cameron will sit down for 
what's sure to be a pretty awkward dinner with members of the European Union family after, you know, he initiated the breakup, as we've said. Uh, he will basically, you know, express and explain the situation. But all of the European Union leaders have said there will be no talks, formal or informal, about what the terms of the Brexit will be until David Cameron's successor is named, Article 50 is activated, and the mm. formal negotiations begin. So I think, really, despite all of the you know uncertainty, I think nothing will really happen until September, when the new prime minister is named, when the negotiations begin, and up till that point, I think it's you know it's all more speculation, more uncertainty. We've got you know the markets in turmoil. We've got both major political parties in this country in turmoil, and none of that will be solved in any substantive way until there's a new prime minister in place and these negotiations begin on a formal level. It'll be fascinating one day to read the memoirs of David Cameron, and specifically, yeah, I think uh, you know if nothing else. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If his, if his political career is over, he can at least look forward to a career as a best-selling author. Jeff Semple has been with us, Europe Bureau Chief for Global News, live in Trafalgar Square. Jeff, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Anytime, Scott. Thanks, Gary.